Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey guys, welcome to the Hardcore Church Planning Podcast. And my guest today is a friend. I say he's a friend. He's a, gosh, the the reason I write anything in magazines today goes back to this guy. We bumped into (laughs) each other at an exponential conference. And I can't remember how it happened, but I think I saw him sitting there looking bored. And I said, hey, man, I'm Peyton Jones. No, I'm teasing. It didn't happen. (laughs) We struck up a conversation. Enjoyed talking to each other. He was sitting at one of the, I think it was Leadership Journal booth or one of the, might have been for Behemoth. I don't remember what it was, but my guest is a friend and also the editor of, the first line editor of my book who helped me immensely. If you like it, you partially have Paul to thank here. Um, Paul J. Pastor, an author in his own right, uh, a journalist and an all around cool guy. Welcome onto the show, Paul. Gosh, thanks, Peyton. I had forgotten that we had met at Exponential, but you're right. I was sitting there in the Leadership Journal uh, booth looking bored, and this guy comes up and he says, hey, I write stuff. Uh, and I was I just did. so grateful. Uh, <laughs> and so I said, grateful. one day, I would like to write for you. And you go, well, here's my card. You played it cool, <laughs> which was good. You're like, well, here's my card. Shoot me well, some. You know, if somebody comes up and asks that, they're either crazy or they have something to say. And and I decided pretty quickly that you had something to say and that you were crazy. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so there we go. Well done. It's a man with discernment. Well, look, I want to have you on here because you and I have uh, really kind of we, – we, we've got a friendship at a distance. You live up in Portland um, or that area thereabouts. Or no, it's Columbia River, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we're about 25 miles east of Portland, uh, but but out in a pretty uh, rural, wildernessy type area. But but we're Portlanders. I, I can say that with confidence. Yeah, and and I live vicariously through you because I, I, you know, you garden, you, you you write poems, you're involved with a little bit of graphic novels, and it, it's yeah. just almost kind of like when I talk to you, I go, I want Paul's life. And <laughs> well, that's uh, that's envy. It's not okay. You gotta you gotta figure that out. And I, I recall that you have things pretty good too, Peyton. So uh, it's easy to 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 let the grass be greener. But that but is we do. Cool. We have we have a wonderful creative uh, lifestyle. My wife's an artist, so we homeschool our kids and uh, live in a super beautiful place and and get to to make books and and paintings and and raise kids and garden and. Uh, serve at our church and kind of a whole host of of really wonderful things and drink organic pour overs every day. Yeah, un- undoubtedly, you know, a lot of people think we're hipsters. We're really not, which is what every hipster says. So I'll let you uh, determine <laughs> how to interpret that. But we're really not. We're we're uh, we're pretty down to earth people. Um, you know, yeah. there are two types of people in this world. There are those that wear skinny jeans and those that wear dickies. I am of the mm. dickies clan. You're of the skinny jeans clan. And yet through Christ, we are friends. <laughs> we are. We are <laughs> friends. 
So, you know, you, the reason that I wanted to have you on here is a, I love everything that you've written, you know, to begin with. I, I mean, I'll read your articles or read your books, but you came out with a book and I thought it was one of the coolest things. It is called the listening day meditations on the way. It's on my coffee table. It is what I have used now for a little while for devotions. Mm. And, um, it is refreshing to my soul because you come at this from a different angle. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing in the listening day volume. Yeah, you bet. Well, I'm glad it's inspiring to you that that's great. Uh, Wow. Where to start on this one? So I got a call from my agent one day and he's like, Paul, what if you wrote a devotional uh, using the voice of God? And if you know me at all, that's such a foreign concept to um, to me that that I almost just laughed and hung up and and went on with my day. But but I trust this guy. and I was like, OK, let's let's talk a little bit. So we um He's like, just play with it. Just play with it. See where this would go. And so taking his advice, I, I sat down. Um, and, and what came out of me in, in about a, a 10 minute period that afternoon was this biblically grounded, um, basically a, a, a free verse poem, uh, of devotional intent that, that became a dialogue. It was, it was like God, um, saying something through the words of scripture. Uh, creatively riffing on that uh, as a creative device in my own writing, and then like replying back to him. And there was an energy there and a force there and a strangeness there uh, and a power there for myself that I really didn't expect. And so I went from basically dismissing this as my agent just asked me to write like a Jesus calling knockoff to whoa, maybe there's something here that actually can speak my creative language and I quickly, quickly just fell in love with the direction of this project. So what the book is, is as you know, uh, but for the sake of your listeners, it's meditations on two verses of scriptures per page. I, I find a link between these two verses. Sometimes it's very clear. Sometimes it's more obscure or arcane. And then the meaning that arises between that, thinking about how the Bible can reflect on the Bible, um, I, I turn into this creative meditation. Sometimes it reads almost like a story. Sometimes it's very poetic, almost free verse stuff. Um, but, but I write what, what is being spoken to me through the words of scripture and we go from there. Yeah. You know, it's really cool because, um, one of the things, and I want to get back into this, I'm, I'm preempting myself here, but what was amazing to me was, was your love of the creative really speaks, um, about the Old Testament and mm-hmm. how the majority of that book is poetry. And I remember you and I having a conversation <laughs> and we were geeking out with each other. Uh, you know, as a left hand or right brain person myself, it's something mm-hmm. that, um, you know, creativity is going to come through anything I do. And so I really connected with that, but I want to read, uh, for our, um, listeners, just, you know, one of the, one of the entries so they can get a taste and then we'll talk more generally. He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. Mark 439. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. And this one is called the peacemaker. 
I watched the masses rage in a vein boiling like a storm that seeks to sink its master. They spit and curse. They would scald the whole world if they could. All wounded things are angry and afraid. If you corner them, even to draw the poison or pull the thorn, they will bite you. Give us peace, Lord. I've already given you peace, but not the world's kind. My peace holds paradoxes. Mine is the gentle embrace and the holy scourge. Mine is the breaking of the evil bow and the drawing of my own, bent wide as the sky with an arrow like the sun. The world is a field that must be plowed before it is planted. Take pity on the stones that refuse to move from my blade, for they will be tossed aside. It may seem harsh, but that too is my peace. That too is my love. At my word, you will not only lay down your weapons, you will mate them or melt them to make tools of plenty. You will not only cease to rage, you will begin to praise. I will turn the field of blood into a harvest of life, and you will be to me the thresher, the harvest, and the heir of the land. You shall be a child of peace. And then the Mm -hmm. prayer. Lord, your peace opposes the broken and violent systems of this world. Help my heart love what you love and refuse the temptation to cling to lies or conflict. Amen. Well, that's just, that's beautifully written, man. And I, mm. I just thank you for that. The, the, the whole thing has just been ministering to me in the approach where, you know, we're, we're so used to propositional uh, truth that we miss the beauty that is the bulk of the Old Testament. And, mm. you know, uh, it, it's just there. God wants to speak to us. And poetry. And I appreciated you having the, um, after writing so many articles as a journalist, stepping into this, which in many ways seems your natural skin. <laughs> it but, really is. But I, but I think to a certain degree as a writer, there has to be a kind of, um, dying to self that happens when you do this. And, oh, it's uh, so true. It's so true. A project like this gets so personal so fast. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm really burying my soul on every page, which uh, is this constant process of, of sanctification to, to interpret this and, and put it out there. There's there's a lot of uh, sort of that risk uh, involved, just like any creative person would have when you're dealing with things that are real. Uh, there's vulnerability there and there's there's rawness there and there's risk there. And really, that's how I know that I'm writing in a space that's um, God willing, going to be compelling for other people when it when it's like, ouch, should I change that? Ouch, do I need to, you know, pull myself back in here? But I'm gradually learning uh, creatively to to trust that as as really the leading of the spirit uh, and follow those creative instincts. But I love what you're saying about about you know poetry being this currently this undiscovered. Um, part of our Bible and and part of the Christian life, I'm just convinced that most Christians, most pastors, most Americans in general, just have not the first idea of how to handle poetry, how to be inspired by it. Mm -hmm. Um, We've really come to think of it as the province of of academics, right? Like the 20th century, I mean, a century ago, poetry was, was like pop music. You had these, these, poets who sold more books than anybody guys like Henry Wadsworth Longfellow would be would be a brilliant example of that and today you just don't have any celebrity poets you you really don't um, 
that that locus of popularity has just totally shifted. And I think we've lost this really immediate sense of the voice of the people that poetry can be, uh, especially mm. for the life of faith. Yeah, I love that because it, it really honors God as, I think, the creator when we create. And um, so many creative works, you know, it... it you know, it, it says that even the wrath of man shall praise him. I remember hearing R.C. Sproul once and they, they asked him in a, in a conference, what do you think we'll do for eternity? And, um, <laughs> I, I remember R.C., you know, he's, he's quite a cultured guy. And, um, uh, and he said, well, he said, the first thing I want to do, and this rocked me. He said, I want to read all of the great works of literature. And then I want to listen to all of the great works, you know, of the, of the, you know, uh, symphony orchestras throughout all time, you know, all, all great works of music. And then I want to read all the poetry and, you know, and, and it was amazing to me because here I am, you know, very narrow, <laughs> you know, thinking we yeah. won't do that in eternity, <laughs> you know, and, and, and here's this, this pretty meaty theologian. Who and then he started to elaborate on listen. Mm. Shakespeare glorified God, whether mm. he was trying to or not, mm. because the gift that he embodied was in itself glorifying God every time that quill touched a parchment. Mm. And 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 I remember just having my mind blown, like you know, to to the point where. You know, you, you read the Psalms and that guy is seeing, you know, uh, you know, a sunrise and it's hmm. worship. You know, mm-hmm. if I see a whale breach on the Pacific Ocean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a God moment to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it just, it, it's blown me away. So I connected with this man and I, I know that's kind of, that's your inner engine. That's, that's your engine mm-hmm. of love that drives you as well. Oh, I love that you bring love into it. You know, it's really about knowing, Peyton. That's my that's my conviction here. Uh, I think that that as Christians, as creative people, sort of whatever hats we we feel ourselves wearing, just human beings, let's just like human beings, we get all mixed up about what it means to know, and we we make it, especially in our culture and especially in our Christian culture, we make it a cognitive process. Yes. And knowing involves our cognition. It, it can't not involve our cognition because we're, we're whole person beings. But the biblical sense, as you know, is knowing like marital love. It's knowing like sex. It's knowing like romance. Mm. It's, it's, it's not just, it's not just a cold or detached encompassing of a proposition. It's a relational connection. There's a modern epistemologist named uh, Esther Lightcap Meek. Uh, I believe she teaches at Geneva College back east. And she predicates her entire epistemology upon love. She talks about loving in order to know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where not just poetry, but everything that uh, you just mentioned, R.C. Sproul mentioning, really can become a means of communicating God's God's character and his person and his creativity to us now. We don't have to wait for heaven, obviously, to begin knowing him in these types of ways. And those intuitive relational forms of knowing that do come through the great works of literature, the great works of music, through folk music, through folk art, through any human making that inspires and communicates and tells the truth, um, we really do find these means of knowing God 
uh, and it because it feels so different from the theology we've been trained to understand and accept and preach and sermonize on and carefully explicate from the letters of Paul, which I love, by the way, I'm in no way casting shade on the letters of Paul or on expositionary sermons or on rationality in general. I love all of that stuff. But we just lose out on on the most human qualities of faith and love and knowing if we don't integrate and appreciate and cultivate an understanding of beauty in our life of faith. Yeah, I mean, everything you're saying right there, you know, even Paul says, if you know all these things, you know, you can cognate and you don't have love. It's nothing. So that has to be the foundation. But, you know, what I found was this was kind of like taking a vacation from you know, just propositional truth, which mm. I think, like you said, we, it, it, things become only rational. Now, some of our author, I mean, uh, some of our audience doesn't know that you also wrote an incredibly beautiful book, which was about the Holy Spirit called The Face of the Deep. And it was interesting mm. because, um, you know, you, you approach it from the aspect that the Holy Spirit is in a very ordinary way, least <laughs> into you know, this very extraordinary thing is laced into the main mundanity of everything so that to a certain degree, nothing is mundane anymore. <laughs> you know, when, when you open up to that and again, you have an incredible gift, sir, uh, for, for, you know, for writing and word craft and expression. Mm -hmm. So, uh, not to kiss your butt, you know, but <laughs> literally, um, you know, you're, you, you just have a gift. And so, uh, the book is the face of the deep, but, Again, um, you know, for you, this is a, I think what you're getting at here is we are used to experiencing God through the intellect and through the mind, um, through the rational part of our mind, because that's what's constantly modeled to us. And mm -hmm. yet what you're hinting at here, and I think what you're in many ways whispering and shouting at the same time is there are other ways to experience him. That's so true. Again and again in the Bible, we hear this recurring refrain, um, for those with eyes to see or with those, for those with ears to hear. And there's this subtext there that's really, really deeply terrifying. And this idea that just because our eyes are opened doesn't mean we're perceiving the truth or the meaning of the things around us. And I have come to see, um, myself as a person who's gradually losing the scales over his eyes mm. and gradually actually being able to see things as they are and not as they appear. And I think that is, I think wow. that is coextensive with sanctification, honestly. Yeah. Um, as you become holy, you learn to see the world like God sees the world and it mm. changes everything. Mm -hmm. um, so whether the face of the deep, which is really all this extended, uh, very poetic, um, meditation on the theology of the Holy Spirit, the idea, the very historic Orthodox Christian idea that God is in everything that we see and experience. His imminence in creation is profound. And, and, and tracing that out, what does it mean? It means simple life can, is life with God. It's impossible to divorce any aspect of our life from being spiritual or from being sacred. And by moving in that direction, we, we awaken all of these things in us. We, we learn to practice the presence of God. We learn to actually begin living in heaven here, even though his presence is as veiled as we know it to be uh, because of the brokenness of this world. Hmm. So I'm just so excited about that, 
but the idea that I, the idea that I even still am seeing, um, the true thing, but might not recognize it is something that's so intriguing to me. This constant invitation, look again, look afresh, look anew. Do you see it yet? Do you see it yet? Do you see it yet? Mm. And every once in a while, I'll catch a glimpse of it, um, catch a glimpse of him moving uh, in the world around us. And, and when that happens, you can't help but wonder, you can't help but worship, you can't help but respond in poetry. And it's those flashes, it's those moments that hold me to Jesus in a way, frankly, that no rational argument ever could. Yeah, I, um, man, that is, that is some deep stuff, brother. That is, that is not flesh and blood revealing that. That is, that is walking with God's stuff right there. And, uh, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that about you. Now, one of the things that, um, impresses me, you, you your website, which is pauljpastor.com. By the way, if you're looking for him, it's, it's Paul J. Pastor. Just point mm-hmm. that out. I call him Paul Pastor, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's Paul J. Pastor is a writing name officially. And, and if you go to pauljpastor.com, um, you, you can check out all of his stuff. This is in the end of the show, but there's somewhere I'm going with this. Normally you do that at the end of the show, right? <laughs> Rules of podcasting. But, but really, um, what I love, and we've had, we've had conversations about this where I'm like, man, the artwork you have in your stuff is rad. I know nobody says <laughs> rad anymore, but it's rad. <laughs> I love rad. I'm of a rad generation, man. Yes. That's great. It, it, it speaks of radness when I look at your artwork on your website. Tubular. Totally yeah. tubular. <laughs> to the max. So, uh, <laughs> yes, this is like a, a dueling surf cats, you know, Bill's head. <laughs> Dude, so, so excellent. <laughs> I was raised in Huntington Beach, so you know this is so you know San Dimas. So <laughs> here's the deal, you know. I'm looking. Um, you have an artist friend, but but you know we had a cool conversation about art. Tell me about you know why art plays such a, a prominent um, place in. When, you don't just write something; you put some cool art on it too. Talk to mm. me a little bit about that. Oh, that's a really good question. You know, I'm somebody who loves craft and complexity, but never for its own sake. I hope never for its own sake. Like, I'm I'm really intrigued by uh, iconography, ancient Christian iconography, by the Christian language of symbol. And there are all of these pictures that can say things um, in this direct and intuitive way. Um, you know, my, my dad's an artist, and, and so a lot of uh, what came to me came through just this profound appreciation of growing up in a, in a household where, um, you know, his heroes weren't sports people. They were Picasso and Matisse. And, mm. um, y- you know, there's this, there's this, uh, appreciation that comes when you see a, a parental figure who's just so in love with, with, with art and expression through art. So there's some family culture going on there for sure. Um, but really this is the history of the Christian church. If you went back through history, the majority, I shouldn't say the majority, a, a huge percentage of people got much of their theology through pictures. And that doesn't mean that they didn't know God or that they even knew him inaccurately. The church developed a language throughout the centuries of communicating through icon, communicating through symbols, which is really pastoral art. It's pastoring somebody mm. through the visual arts. And so, 
for the face of the deep, we created 14 modern icons for the for the Holy Spirit, each of them tied to my writing in some way. Uh, just this brilliant Portland artist, a man named Martin French, who's this world-class illustrator, um, gave of his time uh, so generously and kindly to uh, just out of love to to promote this uh, to promote this project. And then for the listening day, Connie Gabbert, who is uh, an Oregon artist based in Bend, she did this series um, of woodcut inspired illustrations. Um, and just as a teaser, the the cover of the first book where you see the sun and there's waves and sort of this indeterminate image of, of a leaf. That's actually one quarter of an image that will be revealed as the four volumes of the series come out. So at the end of the project, when you line the four books up next to each other, they will tell the story in visual form of the listening day. You'll see the sun rising over um, a scene that is revealed. So watch for the next volume in October and you'll get the next piece of that. Very uh, cool. Well, I will be I picking out over that. Yeah, man, that's super cool. And I got a cool bookmark with mine that matches yeah, the artwork. So <laughs> I don't know if that's because I got a review copy or if everybody gets the bookmark, but the bookmark yeah. is, is also, uh, you know, speaks of radness. You so, just got that. Cause you're my friend. Don't, oh, uh, nice, yeah. nice okay. score. So, you know, I'm going to, you know what happens. So now I'm going to get limited edition. <laughs> I'm going to expect now a bookmark. Oh. It's like an entitlement thing, but, um, <laughs> You know, it, it's really interesting because, um, the whole idea of the, you know, the church planner, there's two reasons that I want, um, Paul on here. Number one is do not neglect your own soul. You know, Lloyd Jones used to say that others went to, uh, the seaside or the beach, um, for rest and rejuvenation. And he said, but I go to the 18th century. In other words, he would pick up a book about revival and he mm. would find himself renewed. Um, and you know, that, that for him was as good as a vacation at Disneyland, um, could not picture Martin Lloyd-Jones at Disneyland. Although I, I think Spurgeon would have fun, but (laughs) picture Lloyd-Jones or Martin Luther enjoying it that much. I think they, they, they would maybe not enjoy it, but the, the idea is that, you know, as I'm looking at, um, church planners today, there's so much, especially Bivo church planners. There's so much that they're focused on that it's possible to neglect your own soul. And so I wanted to get this work out in front of you because it's not just our daily bread. And I think there's something of spiritual weight and significance. And really, even though each page is very simple, um, I know Paul's writing. I also know his spirituality to a certain degree, at least. <laughs> I can't say that. that was a big You've statement. gazed into my heart. I yes. have. And I... And, and I, and I trust Paul and I just felt like I need this. This is my vacation right now. And that's mm. how picking this up feels to me is like I'm on a vacation and I am being ministered to and renewed. And so church planner, do not neglect your own soul. And number two, um, I really wanted to talk, you know, so many church planners are concerned with outreach and it's in the creative arts that I have the most hope. Now, I am a preacher. You don't end up at Lloyd-Jones' church as a preacher. I always remind people this because so much (laughs) of what I say, people go, don't knock preaching. Well, here's the deal. I I value preaching. I could preach all day. Not everyone could listen to me all day, but I I could do that. But But the reality is, at a certain point, I realized that the influencers uh, in, in, in pop culture will never be preachers. 
the influencers of society are our artists. And the best mm-hmm. hope I can possibly have to change society is to influence those in front of me that are mm-hmm. artists. If I can mm-hmm. influence them, they in turn will influence the world. And mm-hmm. so much so that, um, C.S. Lewis during the last 10 years of his life, um, refused to write anything that was propositional. Now he wrote masterpieces like, you know, miracles, mere Christianity. I mean, you know, uh, you name it, it, you know, so many fern seed and elephants. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. uh, weight of glory. He wrote amazing things that were only today. I would say, is he being appreciated? Um, as he probably needs to be because of where American culture's at. But that said, that is a powerful thing that Lewis himself came to the point where he realized he would have a far greater effect hmm. on the world if he stuck to creative works, particularly his, his fiction. Um, hmm. Any thoughts on that, Paul? Oh, man. I have so many thoughts on that. Two that, that immediately rise, rise to my mind. One of them is specifically for church planners. Uh, just last week, I was sitting with a good friend who's planning a church here in Portland um, and going through just, just a seriously rough patch. Uh, personally, just stuff in his life that's so difficult right now. And during our conversation, which involved everything from tears to cuss words to you name it, um, what was so obvious was Jesus is close to him right now and he can barely recognize it just because he's in it and he feels so alone. Uh, and there's something about the vocation and the calling of church planting that I think presents a danger for isolation, a danger for arrogance, and a danger for cutting yourself off from other people. And through, um, man, through listening and through the creative endeavors, we ourselves are changed. And so there's this lifeline that I feel gets extended um, for anybody in ministry, but specifically for people who are in uh, ministry that drains them. The, the arts, um, creative endeavors, expressing those things, taking those things into you, uh, going to an art museum, going to a concert, writing out in your journal, like those things actually become this very quiet lifeline that tethers you to the real and that tethers you to Christ. So that would be my first encouragement is there's a sense of personal well-being that's all wrapped up in it. And that's not accidental. It's Mm. not, it shouldn't be thought of as the icing on the cake. This is the plate the cake sits on. Uh, I really believe that. And then in terms of outreach, you know, I think you're right on in in the sense that the people who change the world really are the folks who, who control our cultural metaphors, our cultural images. Um, I mean, I think I haven't seen the series, but I think of like the total uh, ubiquitousness of Game of Thrones right now and the power that the writers on that show have to shape imagination, to shape people's concept of good and evil, to shape their understandings or images of, of really big basic iconic things like treachery and commitment and loyalty and violence and lust and all of these different things that are all bound up in something that's just huge like that. But it's not even about those, those oak tree sized creative endeavors. It's, it's mustard seed sized creative endeavors too. Uh, you know, I think it was Maya Angelou said, uh, somebody never forgets how you make them feel. Mm. And most, and most people rightly 
take that to, to be a relational thing. Uh, and it is relational, but that's also artistic. Somebody never forgets an image that compels them a strain of music that moves them emotionally. Those things get into you at a visceral level. And it's not an accident that the gospel again and again and again and again is communicated through metaphors that appeal and speak to what we in our culture call our creative side, (laughs) separating out that as if it was somehow a separate part of our humanness, but that most humans throughout history would just feel um, is, is truth. Um, integrated and whole and connected to the life of the mind and the life of the heart. So in terms of outreach, yeah, there's not even a question. Your church needs to be conversant. It needs to have more than um, just good graphic design to reach creative people. You need to have a spirit of deep, creative life that's flowing out of the words and the images of the Bible that allows God to uh, communicate through his spirit the strangeness of the gospel, the, the mystery of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel. And you really need to be drinking yourself deeply from those streams mm. uh, of expression uh, and meaning that, um, that our culture frequently doesn't uh, value or embrace. You need to be drinking deeply from those if you're going to point other people to them. So true, man. And I love how you're bringing up that people need a, like a spirit of creativity. I was talking with church planners this morning and I was coaching, uh, one guy in particular. He was in New Orleans and he was saying, you know, I'd read this book and that book by this author and that author. And I had to caution him and say, Hey, what those guys did 10 years ago or 20 years ago in Colorado or Chicago or wherever, that's great. It's not going to work in New Orleans. And I think you need, you know, and it was exactly a thing as I, I, I challenged him, let the Holy Spirit speak to you about hmm. the people in front of you. I think that creativity is in itself a missional gift that, hmm. you know, allowing, I told him, I said, you know, you've got all these vocabulary words and these things that you're talking about, but maybe God doesn't want to do what he did, you know. Even our missional conversation is getting quite dated now. Maybe mm. he wants to do something completely new. And I, I mentioned how Paul walked around the, the city in Athens because he didn't have a clue <laughs> those people. And God gave him a very creative solution and in to speak exactly knowing. I mean, that's not Peter never preached like that when you're reading in this, at least recorded mm. by, by Luke or even Paul himself. And that was one of those moments of Holy Spirit inspired creativity to say, let me preach you about the unknown God. <laughs> and so, you know, this is a bigger conversation. We are out of time, but as usual, uh, my friend, it is always good to pick your brain and to hear you. And if you guys have not had the pleasure of reading Paul J. Pastor, he is all over um, Christianity Today, Outreach, um, various, pro- I mean, uh, uh, Leadership, LJ, other projects. Um, you can find him online. You can go to pauljpastor.com. You can check out his books. And uh, anyways, is there any other way that people might want to connect with you, Paul, or have you I know, covered it? Yeah, they're welcome to connect with me on Twitter. I'm pretty sporadic with my um, social media use, so don't be offended if I 
am late in a reply to you. Uh, but I also love getting snail mail. So if you go on my website and you feel like you want to start up a dialogue, you're welcome to just write me a letter. My PO box is there online. And um, and uh, believe it or not, it may take me a week or two, but but I will reply to you. So Awesome. Awesome sauce. Well, we have a question we always like to ask at the end Bring it. of every uh, interview. And it sounds like you may know, I think we've had you on here before, but, uh, the, one of the questions, the question, and it changes for everybody is if you were to get into a physical fist fight with CS Lewis, (laughs) (laughs) I would not even a question. I think you're right. Footwork, man. It's all about the footwork and he'd, he'd just be slow. He would be slow. He seems like he was a little bit slower moving. And, mm. uh, yeah, I think, I think you would have speed on your size. He was not a small man. I did not know that. He was, yeah, he's he a big was, fellow. Yeah. So, yeah. I couldn't take, uh, I couldn't take more than a couple punches from him, but, but I'd, I'd land him quick and, and I'd fight dirty. Yeah, so. baby. That's what I'm talking about right there. That's, that's what I want to see. Ding, ding, <laughs> smack talk. Take that, C.S. Lewis. <laughs> And, uh, but we respect you. You're an amazing writer, but, uh, you're a writer, well, maybe, not a fighter. Maybe that's what RC Sproul is doing in heaven, boxing C.S. Lewis. I think RC Sproul would kick my butt. <laughs> 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 I wouldn't mess with that guy. But, oh, uh, but anyways, hey, Paul, thanks for being on, man. It's been great. Um, hardcore church planning. Thanks for joining us today. And Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.